Welcome back to another episode of the Face for Wrestling podcast. Today we're covering NWA Power, Episode 2. I'm Waldo, and I'm joined as always by Matt. I'm the Matt. And Dr. Brian. Recording right now? Yeah. You just made the podcast, mister. Thank you, doctor. Doctor. Before we begin, I'd like to give out a big thanks to those who have helped push our most recent Stardom episode over 200 views on YouTube. Thank all of you. Make sure and subscribe and like and make other people listen to us. Exactly. We've also gained some subscribers as well and hope to continue to grow and spread the word about stardom and other great wrestling to you, the audience. Don't forget to let others know about us as you can follow us on the Twitter at face for wrestling. We went ahead and made a quick link also for the YouTube channel. You can get to it at tinyurl.com slash face for wrestling. And make sure to keep up to date with the GIF of the day on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash face for wrestling. That's the number four face for wrestling. Well, Matt, you ready to get into this episode of power? I am ready and raring. Is that right? Raring, rearing. I'm ready. Let's do this. I'm going to buy you a fucking dictionary and the source for your Christmas present this year. Uh, I only need one. So we start off with, a, I think it was a three minute countdown clock where they had a social media intro of a lot of people hyping up the episode one that happened, as well as the revival of the NWA. I thought it was really good. I, I didn't like that they started off with some WWE and NXT and I think even ROH people to start it off. I get that, you know, they're big names in the industry and you want to kind of use them to springboard yourself. But I maybe would have started with some fans hyping it up and then peppered in the wrestlers throughout. But other than that, like I think it's a really good way to start your show as well. You you see you show that there is a buzz and that people are liking it. I, I thought it was pretty nice. What'd you think? I like it. It's a good way to let you know that the show's about to start, kind of give you a quick recap. Uh, you'll notice in later episodes that you don't get what you have in this episode for the three minute countdown. Right. Uh, you, you'll get storyline explanation, who who did what. That'll come more later on, starting around like episode six or seven. Right. So we're back in the GPP studios in Atlanta, Georgia, with a crowd of about, oh, excuse me, exactly 350. This comes from Billy Corgan and Dave Lagana themselves as a source on a recent Sam Roberts interview. Nice. We start off with various clips and audio bites of different people talking about the NWA. So this is the fan thing that you were talking about that should have been peppered in the intro. Right. It dovetails into a Tim Storm promo from last episode before he wrestled Aldis, and we get a recap of him losing and not being able to challenge for the 10 pounds of gold again. Yeah, they didn't really go over the fact that he's not able to challenge again in this one, but they did do a really good job of setting the mood. They had some nice, sad music playing behind it, and they show him not winning the belt, but they didn't go over the fact that that was his last chance. But it still came out as a, a pretty sad little package, which in a good way. Before we go into the main part of the show, we cut to a snippet from last week that specifically focuses on Galley trying to get Camille to talk. Once we finally get done with that horseshit, we cut over to Jim Cornette and Joe Galley as our announcers tonight as they introduce the show and highlight the upcoming matches. They throw to Marquez, who is going to interview Aaron Stevens. He starts off sounding very optimistic and pumping up the crowd. So you think, oh man, he's actually going to be a face this time and be a good guy. Yeah, I like it. He's peppering in a little bit of heel work. Like when he first walks up, he's like, Dave, is it? You know, like, uh, maybe I'm too good to remember your name. Oh, I, I knew it was Dave. I knew it was Dave. 
And then starts talking about that he's been gone for two years doing film, TV, and theater. But he heard a rumor that the NWA was coming back. And that means he's coming back. And the crowd are 100% behind him at this point. After that feel-good moment, he explains that in order to give his best performance, everybody must avoid eye contact with him. Because, you see, he's a serious thespian. And it did not take long for that to become a heel moment for him, did it? Oh, no, it was a great... Because immediately somebody laughed because they thought it was kind of a joke thing. And he was immediately like, shut up, don't laugh, I'm serious. He baited them in and then just hit them over the head with this heel work. I thought it was really well done. We cut to the ring, and it's our boy, Trevor Murdoch, as he waits patiently. Murdoch, aside from being awesome, is way bigger than Ricky Starks will be in this match. Yeah, he's a big old boy. Real quick aside for a second, Trevor Murdoch. We got a lot of love in our hearts for Mr. Murdoch. We are definitely fans. This is a man who had a decent run in the Fed as a tag team. Actually held on to the uh, tag team championships for a little bit. But then out of nowhere, just suddenly vanished off the face of the wrestling earth. He took a break from wrestling to go help take care of his mentor and trainer, Harley Race. He helped him run his wrestling promotion up there. And in Harley Race's later years, when he was having more medical issues and whatnot... He was there by his side, just making sure that the guy was taken care of. And not once did he ask for credit for himself. He kept the light off of him and made sure that Harley was the man in focus because of his legacy and everything. But there was one story that popped up where Harley, for some reason, was stuck in Florida and had a bad medical issue come up. And Trevor reached out to WWE to see if he can get some help transporting Harley Race back to Missouri because... Harley didn't have much longer left. This story didn't even come out until after Harley had passed. I want to say it was like three or four months before anybody knew about it. Yeah, people were trying to give him props for that. And he still at the same time was like, no, don't thank me. Like, thank the WWE for getting him there where he needed to be at the end. Like, he was still very, very humble about all of this. And just hats off to this man. And even after Harley had passed, he still took an extended sabbatical away from wrestling, kind of wrapping up the business in Missouri for Harley's promotion, which is still ongoing today, and just some other odds and ends, and just kind of thought that that was it, and he had almost hung his boots up all the way. Yeah. But then one day he gets a call on the phone from Dave Lagana. Hey, what are you doing? Nothing much. Want to come wrestle for the NWA? Uh, I don't even think that they asked him if he wanted to wrestle. Uh, According to that interview with Sam Roberts, Mm -hmm. they basically just asked him, do you want to come be a part of the NWA in any capacity that you want? Just pick something. Nice. And he said, well, can I wrestle? Oh, dude, you can do whatever you want. And they've pretty much given him the spotlight and let him run with it. And he's, he's where he belongs. Yeah, I agree. His style definitely meshes. His obvious love for what's come before him shows that he needs to be in the NWA. And hats off to Dave Lagana and Corrigan for realizing that and bringing him in and giving him something. Not that he would have ever asked for it at all, but this is somebody who did deserve this. So kudos to them. Kudos to him. Feel good story all around. The bell rings and we kick off. They lock up and Murdoch pushes Starks into the corner and they break it up at the five count and reset. It's about this time that I noticed something that I I was a fan of. Um, They're putting over Trevor Murdoch in a big way. The announcers are. They mentioned that he is a tag team wrestler, but they don't, they're not like, oh, he's from the Fed and he used to tag. No, just he's normally a tag team specialist. We're bringing him in here. You're putting the shine on him instead of a company he might have used to work for. So that's just a small thing that I, I, I think is really good on their part. Stark's leapfrogs, but gets into some arm drags from Murdoch. 
Starks dodges an elbow drop, but Murdoch dodges a drop kick, and we're back to another standoff to a nice round of applause. Kind of similar to our stardom fans in a small little way. I can see that. They're a little more chant happy than the stardom fans, but they do applaud when they're supposed to applaud. They applaud good wrestling. And also, holy shit, Murdoch surprised me. I, I know of Murdoch, but just how quick and agile they actually make him out to be in this while still letting him be a beast mode, really well spotlighted. Murdoch then walks to the middle of the ring and strikes a stark pose. It was brilliant. <laughs> I, I don't know what else to say about this. It was it was something something. To watch just one time in your life. <laughs> yeah, it's like a flamboyant version of the Heisman pose. And that's a big old boy to be trying to show his body off. It's very amusing. What are you going to do? Go over there and tell him to stop? <laughs> <laughs> that's gimmick infringement. Continue on, though. I don't want to mess with you. <laughs> we go to Chop Trading in the middle. Starks bounces off the ropes to run into Murdoch, but meets his boot instead. And I found it a little bit amusing because they're like, Man, Starks doesn't want to get in a chopping contest with Trevor. And Trevor's hitting him hard, but Trevor's the one with the marks on his chest afterwards. So hats off to Stark for bringing the fire himself. Murdoch goes to the second rope, but Starks dodges the leg drop. In return, he hits a nice reverse neckbreaker. Stark hits a nice second rope dropkick and goes for a pin, but Murdoch gets his foot on the rope to break the pin. And you can tell here that Murdoch is the seasoned veteran. Yeah, he's got a little bit of a cocky look on his face. Also, again, the announcers are doing a great job. They're putting him over as the veteran and just knowing where he is, and he didn't even have to struggle to break this pin. Starks has Murdoch in a headlock and goes to run up the ropes to do a sling blade DDT thingamajigger, but yes. Murdoch just chunks him off like a feather. Yeah, it's it's the first big show of his power in this match, and he, he really let Starks fly in this one. Murdoch gets in some serious open fist to the face. It tosses Starks into the ropes and misses a boot as Starks ducks. Yeah, I wasn't sure the animosity came from to these punches to the face. I kept expecting Starks to drop, and he never did. It was really surprising. This man works a closed fist punch probably better than anybody else in the business. Starks stops and ducks to dodge a clothesline, but Murdoch just kicks him in the face for it. Murdoch bounces off the ropes and goes for a clothesline, but Starks jumps on top of Murdoch to get him in a crucifix pin for the three in 329. A super quick match, a nice little roll-up ending out of nowhere, so nobody looks weak. And even the announcers put over Murdoch like, oh, Starks was just able to out-wrestle him in this one. It was a good finish. Nobody looks bad. Both people got a chance to, to start building up to show what they can do. I would have definitely liked to have seen Murdoch win this based on his size alone. Right. But I can see that they're trying to build up Ricky Starks in the future. Murdoch has been away from the ring for a while, but still has a good fan following, especially with this NWA crowd. Well, that's what I mean. Even Cornette brought that up. Close to the end of the match, they were talking about how, you know, he's been out of wrestling for a while. He might have some ring rust. Starks might be able to take advantage. They, they did a little bit of um, foreshadowing that he might end up losing. But like I said, since they covered him well on the mic and they had a good finish... Murdoch still doesn't look weak coming out of it. It looks exactly like that. It might have just been some ring rust, and Starks just got a lucky move in. Starks actually got some booze for his win, which is kind of weird. I think it goes back to what you were saying. I think Murdoch has a bit of a fan base. Starks doesn't really at this point, I don't think. And I think people kind of wanted Murdoch to get that win now that everybody knows what he did and why he's been gone and everything. Starks is standing by to talk to Marquez, but Murdoch is walking by to the back, and he stops and congratulates Starks. Yeah, I thought that was a really good move. 
I don't know if you noticed, but the booze kind of stopped right after that, too. Again, like I said, the match, they both kind of put each other over. And then afterwards, he comes up, shakes his hand. You were the better man tonight. Then Starks immediately puts him over as well, as well as Marquez. It was a really good, hey, here's two new people. You haven't really seen much of them yet. We're going to make them both look like a million bucks. So, Matt, what did Starks say? Like I said, he started off giving Trevor props. That's a real professional wrestler. Everybody has good and bad days. But I have goals. I have goals. But I'm not going to tell you what all my goals are. I could go for any title I want, but I don't have to. I'm just here to take it to the next level. Grown men call me absolute, and women call me stroke daddy. I don't know what that means. I don't either, and I, I hope this is something that we can forget in the very near future. I did like the back half of the promo, though, where he goes in to say he could have ended up elsewhere. He could have, you know, he could be on another company or he could be doing something else, but that wasn't in God's plan. God was kind of bringing him to here, but then he goes immediately back into the cockiness and talks about how attractive he is, and that's why Marquez is ugly. Not because Marquez had anything to do with it. God just didn't have any beauty left after he made Ricky Starks. It should be a Hill promo, but then he immediately follows it up, but but I still love you. It's not your fault, and I love these fans, and even though that cameraman's ugly, I love him too. <laughs> I, I don't know what he's going with on here, but it, it's working. The crowd kind of bit into it a little bit as he got towards the end of the promo. After the Starks promo, we cut to Galley crying about not being able to get all the answers he wanted. So they even claimed it was breaking news. It's basically a rehash of the opening promo with Galley talking about being an award-winning journalist. Matt, can you clear this up? Who is Joe Galley, and why is he claiming he has awards? He, from what I understand, is a lead anchor somewhere in San Antonio, and he actually has won some awards. They go over that multiple times throughout this show. He's not bad, he's not offensive, but he's not great. He doesn't draw you in. He says what he's supposed to be saying, but you can tell it's because he's supposed to be saying it. Cut back to Galley introducing the tag team match coming up, but he's going to interview Colt Cabana first. You missed something first. What's that? We have the announcement of the first NWA pay-per-view, December 14th. NWA pay-per-view returns into the fire. And I have it on good authority. It's a pretty good pay-per-view. Just definitely check that out. From what I hear. All right, Matt, tell us about your boy, Colt Cabana. Next up, we have an interview from Boom Boom Colt Cabana. Or what is it? Colt Boom Boom Cabana. Colt Boom Boom? Sure, whichever one it is. Sure. Colt Cabana, he's wrestled. If there's an independent wrestling company, he has wrestled in it at some point, as some character. He's done it. He's been comedic. That's pretty much all you need to know. He is He is independent wrestling. He comes out for his interview, says he's excited to be here. He talks about how he lost the NWA national title to James Storm, but it wasn't fair because he was injured, and Storm just kind of took advantage of that fact. But that's okay because he's here for championships. If it's the national championship, he'll take it. If it's the world championship, he'll take it. If it's tag team championship, he'll take it too. In fact, he's got a tag team match right now. And you want to know who his partner is? Because he's got a partner. You know who it is? It's this guy. And who is this guy? Mr. <laughs> yeah, a uh, nice pop for Mr. Mr. Anderson's entrance. He comes out and says, hey, we could talk about how big and bad we are, or we can go wrestle. I'd like to put emphasis on the big right now for Mr. Anderson. <laughs> he's a little on the chunky side. He gets better, though. Yeah, he's really good in the ring, but he is still a little on the chunky side. Uh, they do tease a little bit of possible dissension here. As Mr. Anderson does the mic bit one last time for Colt Cabana, 
Colt Cabana. And Cabana does the Cabana. And then he does Mr. Anderson. And before he can get the Anderson out for the second Anderson, Cabana goes Cabana again. And there's just a little bit of a look from Mr. Anderson to Colt Cabana that may be setting something up in the future. I don't know yet. The team of Colt Cabana and Mr. Anderson are facing off against Sal, some last name that I can't pronounce, so he shall be called Sal from here on out, and Jordan Kingsley. Matt, who is this Matrix Subway-looking dude? Matrix Subway. Are you, do you mean third-rate Jerry Lynn? That is perfect. <laughs> That's all I got. Uh, I assume you're talking about Sal? Yeah. Sal Alphabet? I have no idea who Sal... We saw him last week. He was we on did. last week's episodes. He lost to the Dawsons. I don't think he looked as greasy last week. Maybe he hasn't bathed since the Dawsons. These are taped in a matter of a couple of days. Maybe this is day three and he just said, nah, I'll save I some don't... money. Yeah, I'm good. Colt and Sal kick off with Jordan causing a slight distraction on the side. I have in my notes here. So we found out that Ken Anderson is Colt Cabana's favorite sphincter. That's because when Mr. Anderson first came out, he referred to himself as Colt Cabana's favorite asshole. But you didn't quite make all that out because there was a lot of crowd noise just for him being out there in the first place. Okay, that makes more sense now. He just he just wanted to make the joke without saying asshole. Some arm locks and arm drags until Colt finally flips Sal out onto the mat to some applause. Colt runs the ropes but stops as Sal drops to the mat to avoid him. He gets up confused as Colt didn't run over the top of him and gets up to start looking for him. Colt is waiting patiently behind him and waves as Sal turns around into a leapfrog and Colt yells Stop! to Sal coming off the opposite rope and arm lock flips him over onto the mat. Yeah, it was a nice bit of comedy because it actually still fit with the wrestling. They didn't go out of their way. They just used the comedy to enhance what they were doing. Me and you said it many times. Why don't you just stop whenever you hit the rope? Colt does it here to great effect and then gets the other guy to do it by just yelling stop at him. Really well done. Colt tags in Anderson, and he takes a bit of a battering to Sal. After a nice sidewalk slam, Sal tags in Jordan, and Anderson beats on him for a bit until Jordan gets in a beautiful backflip bicycle kick on the head of Anderson. It was really good. Anderson hits a clothesline, and Jordan is selling like a million dollars for this. Anderson tags in Colt, and he works over Jordan a little bit before they both double-team Jordan. Anderson in the ring, and he backdrops Jordan. But as he's walking across the ring with him, Sal reaches in and tags Jordan's foot. Cornette shits himself. Yeah, it was well played. Uh, he's like, I know you're not allowed to tag the foot, but they cover it well with the... The other announcer, Galley, and he's just like, yeah, I think the ref's just kind of done with this match. I think he's tired of having them just beat the hell out of him. Which is good, because now we go into the finisher here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Anderson yanks Sal over his shoulders, and Ford roll drops Sal onto Jordan and tags in Colt. Colt tags in Anderson again, so there's like three or four tags in a couple of seconds here. And Anderson again hits the mic check on Sal for the three in 3.33. A good match to introduce Anderson. Not that he needed a huge introduction. These people knew who he was already. Uh, same thing for Colt. You get him over. Well done. I did have one question based off this match for you. Sure. If you're a jobber, you know you're a jobber. But you've been called to job at the beginning of something that's, that's starting out. You know, NWA still new. This is episode number two. Would you not take every dime you have, could beg, borrow, and steal, and just get the best ring gear you could? Oh, I know. I, I, I know. Like, these guys were obviously jobbers and did nothing to differentiate themselves 
we saw last week we had the kid fighting Eli Drake. He looked like a million bucks, and then he went in there and he wrestled well. We want to see him again. These two guys, meh, don't need him anymore. Throughout the match, Cornette and Galley are building up the tag team division without taking away from the match too much, which I find is a nice quality to have. So when the match is running a little bit slow, talk about what else is going on in the tag division. But when they switch gears, they instantly cover it and actually talk about what's going on in the ring so you're not too distracted away from what's going on on TV. And even when they were talking about the other tag teams in the division... They were still using it to put over the guys in the ring. So they're talking about the wild card and they're talking about the Dawson's and stuff like that. But they're talking about Mr. Anderson and Colt Cabana trying to put them on check and put them on notice, you know. So you're still putting over the guys in the ring, but mentioning, hey, there's still some other stuff going on. What's going to happen when we throw these guys into that mix? So I thought it was, I'm with you, I thought it was really well done. I do want to mention about Colt Cabana. Prior to the NWA, I wasn't exactly a Colt Cabana fan because he was a little bit too comedic for me. Right. I'm not saying I don't like comedic wrestling. It has its spots and it's well-deserved place. I, I get it. But he kind of took it over the edge a little bit for me and it just, it wasn't my cup of tea. Here, I think he's found the perfect balance, and I hope he keeps up with this because I can see him going really far in the NWA right now. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up because that was another note I had on Jim Cornette calling this match because he basically said the same thing you said during one of Colt Cabana's shining moments. He said the same thing. You know, I've had problems with Colt Cabana in the past. He can be a little comedic, but he's showing you here that when the chips are on the table, he can wrestle. He can go. And he knows when to do the comedy and when to focus on the opponent he has in the ring. So I, I, I think it's great that he's doing that. It's great that they're highlighting that he's doing that because a fan like you, like you said, you might have been able to wanting to just write this match off solely because Colt Cabana is in it and you know a little bit of backstory on him. But they suck you back in by telling you, no, no, it's going to be different this time. Cut over to Nick Aldis leaving the building, complaining about an interview that he had with Galley, comparing him to TMZ. He wants to put this behind him and go back to being the world's champion as he gets in his Jaguar and leaves. Yeah, I thought this was a nice little... I don't think I've ever seen it done before. You know, they always do the big interview segments on other shows, but you never see the person that got pissed off in the interview after the fact being pissed off in the interview. You know what I mean? So after that, we cut away and we think we're going back to the ring, but it's time for some waffles and tire irons. <laughs> I'm Tony Falk from Paducah, Kentucky. I've been in the wrestling business for over 40 years. You may know me. I'm the one that taught Shawn Michaels how to speak his army. So back in the day when I used to travel down the road in my old Delta 88 Oldsmobile, I became fond of two things, waffles and tire irons. So that's why I decided to open my own store, Tony Fox, Tony Fox Waffles, Waffles and Tire We paint all of our tire on solid gold. And our waffles offer only the best of organic and gluten-free ingredients. So when you're in Paducah, stop by, tell them tell Uncle, them Uncle Tony, Tony sent you. Your highlight of the night, I'm sure. <laughs> So, obviously, this is a spoof commercial, right? But right. it got over so well, and they're actually selling shirts. Now, by the time this comes out, they're already sold out. And I will have you know, I got one of them. <laughs> Gold-plated tire irons. I told you you'd like it when you saw it. I, I was a fan. I don't know who this guy is, but I like that. Seriously, you don't know who Tony Falk is? I don't know who this guy is, but I like that he 
says his claim to fame is that he taught Shawn Michaels to speak Kazarni. I can actually introduce somebody that is normally your role. Oh, go for it. Tony Falk, one of the most legendary enhancement carpenters of all time in the world of wrestling. He's been around probably longer than Jerry Lawler. Wow. He's primarily in the Tennessee, Kentucky area, Smoky Mountain, Memphis wrestling. And there was another one when Memphis kind of merged with Texas there for a little while. And he actually helped get Mick Foley some finishing lessons before he went off to the Fed. Nice. This guy's been all around the territories, I'd say east of the Mississippi area. And that's true. He actually did teach Shawn Michaels how to speak Carney. That's awesome. Uh, he is a tenured member of the Cauliflower Alley Club and is known by many, many of the wrestlers. So, like, anytime that you see, like, the old school, old guys wrestling conventions, right? he's the guy that fans don't recognize, but all the wrestlers come up to him and get advice from him. Nice. So, after Waffles and Tire Irons, we get a little bit of a recap of Kingston and Homicide coming out and confronting the wild cards from last week. Um, which leads us immediately into a Kingston and Homicide interview, though I don't know that you would necessarily call it an interview because they immediately take the mic from the backstage guy and just start talking to themselves, but only Kingston talks. And he just tells everybody, it don't matter how good you are, you ain't nothing, we're badass. We go back to the ring where Ashley Fox is already waiting for Allison Kay to come out, and this is a non-title matchup. But Cornette has a good line here where he calls the NWA World's Women's Championship the six pounds of gold. Yeah, I like that. Allison Kay is way bigger than Vox. Yeah. And she starts off by woman handling her right in the middle of the ring. <laughs> there was another nice moment at the beginning of this where they're announcing the match. And they announce it as one fall or however much TV time is remaining. I do like that. A little thing that you don't really hear a lot of people do. But it goes to show, even though we've been promising you this stuff all night, we've promised you the interview with Nick Aldis, we've promised you a match between or for the tag team titles, if this match goes the distance, this is all you're getting. It adds a little bit of prestige to the match you're about to watch. A little bit of importance. Yeah, a little bit of importance. That's that's how I'd put it. A little bit of hair tussling to taunt Vox as the crowd boos Kay. Vox hits a drop kick and Kay knocks her into the corner with him. Kay dodges a run into the corner from Vox, and the same happens to Vox in the other corner. Kay picks Vox up over her shoulder and slams her in the middle of the ring. She tries to pin Vox with just her foot, but only gets a one count, and rightfully so. Right. Kay ragdolls Vox into the corner, and Vox jumps out of the way of a charge and runs the ropes to crossbody Kay. But Kay catches her and hits a decent look at fallaway slam. Cornette calls it an SOS. Why is that? I do not know. Time to dust off my old school knowledge here a little bit. Hit me with it. Back in the new generation era, the SOS was a fallaway slam used by Razor Ramon, and it was nicknamed by the click backstage as the sack of shit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to throw you like a sack of shit. I got you. <laughs> so when he called it the SOS, I didn't know if that was a slip of the tongue or if he did it on purpose. Oh, with him. I'm sure he did it on purpose. Kay has Vox in the corner and gives her some chops. Vox reverses it and gives them back. Vox runs the ropes again, and Kay catches her in a weird body scissors, but turns it into a German suplex, and she muscled it. Yeah, she did. 
Uh, Vox kicks out at a two and three quarters. And that, boy, it was airtight too, wasn't it? Yeah, it was close. And then we see Kay try to hit the vertebraker onto Vox. But Vox rolls it over into a schoolgirl for a two. Vox gets up and drops kick Kay into the corner. Vox is trying to get her win back in the opposite corner, but Kay rushes her. Vox slips out of the ring onto the apron and hits a shoulder to the gut through the ropes and tries to go up top. But it's Vox coming over to hit a flying head scissors. At first, I didn't really understand what was going on, but it took a couple of seconds for it to sink in what just happened here. But that was actually a pretty nice series of events right here. Yeah, it was really good. And it was about this time, kind of going back to what we were talking about in the last match. This time I realized they're actually trying to put Vox over a little bit. They're letting her actually, like Allison Kay is making her look good. And this is what I mean in the last match. She still looks like a jobber. If you know they're definitely fixing to try to make you look good, invest in a little bit better ring gear. It's worth it. Trust me. Because like I said, I thought this was going to be a quick one-two squash match, but they gave it a little bit of time. And they actually allowed Vox to look really good in this match, especially in this sequence. So if Viper does the barrel roll, what does Vox do? The slightly smaller barrel roll? That's what we're going to call it. There we go. <laughs> Kay is laying in the corner and Vox comes <laughs> in for a slightly smaller barrel roll. <laughs> the vase roll. Vox drags her out of the corner to pin her, but only gets a two count. They get up and Vox has Kay in a standing cross face. Did you understand what this was? I, I want to say that one of the announcers tried to say that Vox calls it the fish on the hook or something like that. But I couldn't quite make out what she was trying to do. I actually have in my notes here, Galley, I think, calls it the fish on a hook. Yeah, I know she had Kay's arm kind of wrapped up a little bit, but I couldn't 100% make out what it was she was trying to accomplish by doing so. Regardless... Kay slips out of it because she's twice as big as Vox anyway and sh shouldn't be caught in that. And gets her into the vertebraker for the three in 349. Yeah, not a vertebraker. To me, I, it was the, the Beto Slime or the Peach Sunrise, correct? We're going to call it the vertebraker here because Momo does it better. Momo does do it better, and they did not call it anything from, like, none of the officials actually called it anything. And I looked it up to see what she would call it, and there's no information. Apparently, she just started using this finisher, so no name for it yet. It's a bit of a vertebraker. It's a bit of a peach sunrise. Momo! Momo! Make sure and watch episode two of Stardom, and you can kind of see the move we're talking about. Excellent plug there, Matt. I see that you're thank starting you. to get the hang of this. Thank you. Thank you. I'm getting there. <laughs> I'm putting them fishes on hooks. No? Yeah. You had no, it, you had it, it. But, and then you threw it back on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> Kay gets her belt back and walks over to Marquez for a post-match promo. Take it away, Matt. Yeah, again, I'm not sure if she's supposed to be a face or a heel. Uh, she gets a smattering of booze from the crowd. Uh, she makes Marquez change sides with her because, quote, this is my good side. She immediately puts Vox over. Like I said, they're definitely going to be doing something with Vox in the future because she immediately puts Vox over and tells her to get her ass over here, put some pep in your step, brings her over to the announced position where they're doing the interview. Again, puts her over. You were great. You were great. But not when it comes to my title. This is my title. I'm the best, and it's in good hands. Like I said, she put over the up-and-comer and then used that to also put herself over even stronger. Well played. 
quick package of fans being excited about the NWA and another Aldous recap from last episode. I'm not quite burnt on them yet because I think they're properly spacing them, but this is a problem that we had last week too where some of these segments are out of order. They always start it with the exact same little clip. That's what's burning me on it a little bit. It's the same thing every time. This one focuses on Tim Storm after the match as he was leaving the ring to perfect storm chants and applause. So the fans are not ready for Tim to leave yet, and neither am I. No. Backstage with Kyle Davis as Tim Storm is walking up. Now, this is also from last week. Yeah. Storm looks like he's about to say something, but eh, he just walks away. He played it perfectly, and then we immediately get a visual next week. Tim Storm discusses his future in the NWA. Back to the interview desk with Joe Galley as he introduces the man who ate James Storm. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, tell us about supposedly James Storm here. <laughs> so we get James Storm, the national champion, comes out, tosses the belt up on the table, tells everybody he don't give a damn about the national championship. He just took it because he wants to be carrying the 10 pounds of gold, and that was the stepping stone to get him there. He then continues to shout, redneck sayings deer skins creek swimming something 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 i'm an angry country person i want to be the champion uh at which point eli drake comes out Let me talk to you. nice little line here i'm not trying to fight you i'm not in my working clothes i just want to be here and talk to you for a minute don't downplay this national title the national title's great the national title means you get a chance at the 10 pound of gold you should be proud of it I like that. You have the guy trying to distance himself for it a little bit, but then somebody immediately comes out and goes, no, this is this is worth fighting for. It is something you should have. He then goes to say, I think there might be a conspiracy against you, James Storm. I think Nick Aldis might be ducking you because I think he's also ducking me. So whenever you get that match and you beat him, make sure and remember me because I want a chance at that belt as well. Great promo from Eli Drake. I think he saved the segment. I agree. I don't understand half of what I'm from the country. I know rednecks. I don't know what James Storms was saying a lot of the times. Sir, do you know anything about this? Yeah, man, I'll tell you what, dude, one of them snipe punch last night, man, with them stick and bag and whack, whack, man, he'd go, woo-loo, talking about that big mistake, y'all, right there in that cooler. Well, if you do see anything, you can contact the ranger station. Again, Eli Drake, where was this? It was I'm, hidden in TNA, man. We just I'm, never saw it. I'm happy it's here in the NWA. What a perfect fit for this guy. Agreed. Next, we get your second favorite segment of the night. Why don't you tell them about Austin Idol? Austin Idol, teach me. Austin Idol, show me how to do it, man. Austin Idol, coach me. Please, Austin. Please, Austin. I want to be like you. I want to be a professional wrestler. I want to make tons of money like you did. How am I going to do it, Idol? How do I do it, Austin Idol? I got 9,000 square feet here of absolute Killer! 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 Amenities. Hey, if you got what it takes and you want it bad enough, go to my website, universalwrestlingcollege.com. Fill out that application. What do you want? When do you want it? What are you willing to do to get it? You don't want to go to work every day doing what you're doing. You want to make some money, Jack. Get yourself a career going. Forget that grind you're doing that you hate. It's the Universal Wrestling College. Go to the website and fill out that app. Come on, baby. You want it? Let me give it to you. I have some fun facts about this commercial for you, Matt. Tell me. This commercial actually started as a spoof 
after two weeks, it became a real thing. Nice. <laughs> nice. So good on you, Austin Idol. You've actually found a way to contribute back to the business again. Wait, does that mean there's a chance for waffles and tire irons? We paint all of our tire irons solid gold. Oh, Lord, I hope so. <laughs> Austin Idol was amazing during this commercial. He looked like he did this all off the cuff. Yeah, it was really good. Really good. I would love to see him as a manager at some point. Unfortunately, I'm told he still wrestles. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't even know who you'd have him manage in the NWA. Himself. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't wrestle. He just comes out, manages himself. Comes out first, dresses as a manager, goes back, changes real quick, comes back out. <laughs> Teach me, Austin Idol. Teach me. We've got 1,600 square feet of killer, killer, Dude, I lost it on that one, man. <laughs> I think you oversold a little bit. It was 9,000 square feet. But other than that, it was a really good commercial. Come back to the ring where we have our main event, NWA Tag Team Championship match. The Wild Cards versus Kingston and Homicide. Now known as Outlaw Inc. Duly noted. They, they called them that when they did the announcements. Oh, okay. Because I think on the uh, title card on the screen, it still said Kingston and Homicide. It did, but when Marquez actually announced him, he called him, he said, Kingston and Homicide, Outlaw Inc., and his little quick way he does things. Oh, do you think he maybe just thought of that at the last second and just said it? I don't know. Possible. <laughs> You're Outlaw Inc. now. What? <laughs> well, I think they were, I think they're the outlaws in other promotions, so they just threw an ink at the end, maybe? Sure. Latimer and Kingston start off with a couple of lockups and shoot-offs and then into the corner. These two are really going at it at each other, and Latimer is testing the ref, too. Latimer, Irish whips Kingston into the other corner and is going over. But Kingston comes out of the corner and knocks him down with a clothesline. Latimer quickly rolls over to tag in Isaacs as he ducks an arm knockdown from Kingston. Isaacs comes in and tried to suplex Kingston, but he is just a little bit too big for him, and Kingston gets the suplex on Isaacs. Yeah, we get my favorite line of the night here, where they trade the attempt at the suplex back and forth, and Jim Cornette says, Kingston's center of gravity is very low. That's a nice way of saying he's got a big ass yeah. and knows how to use it. You're fat. <laughs> You're fat. He's fat. Homicide gets tagged in, and the both of them double-team Isaacs and Latimer until the ref five counts Kingston. Homicide gets in a couple of knockdowns to Isaacs and sets up a double underhook suplex. Galley tells us that Homicide was the victim of a drive-by? Did you hear this? He says that Homicide was a drive-by victim and that he went on to wrestle uh, that same night that he got uh, hit in the drive-by. I think he got like shot in the leg or something and then just taped it up and still wrestled that night. Oh my God, what was he doing? Fighting for ZZW? No, I think this was in his Ring of Honor days. Jesus. Yeah, no, it was before he even started with Ring of Honor or anything. It was his third match, and he was in love with pro wrestling, and he, he got shot in a drive-by shooting, got shot in the legs, and was like, I, I can't go to the police because they know my record and they know my history. His friend's like, don't worry about it, man. We'll just go to the show. I got you covered. Duct tape his leg because he got shot in the calf and just wrestled with it. My God. Do you want to know how he got ribbed? Go on. Not only did his friend duct tape him up, he shot the tampon in the bullet hole. Halfway through the match, he noticed the crowd was laughing at him, and he looks down, and there's just a string of cotton hanging out of it. Oh, my God. That is some ghetto stuff right there. That is some ghetto, ghetto everything. But, it, I mean, he stuck with it, and look where he is today. Man, that's a level of dedication I don't know if I could do. Same. Uh, you shoot me in the calf, I'm not going to run around for 10 minutes. You don't even run around now. <laughs> well, I'm definitely not going to do it with a bullet hole. 
Isaac flips over the double underhook into a fireman's carry, but Homicide drops out of it. Isaac runs off the ropes, and Homicide is ready with a clothesline. Isaac ducks and hits Homicide with one from the other side. Isaac tags in Latimer as he knocks down Homicide from that clothesline. They go at each other for a little bit until Latimer hits a really nice belly-to-back suplex onto Homicide. Time to slow it down a little bit, put in a quick headlock, and then by tossing Homicide into the corner. Latimer tags in Isaacs, and he goes for the three-point stance into the corner on Homicide? Right. Ho! Ho! But Homicide gets the elbow up to stop Isaacs. It's such a weird move just to bust out of nowhere. Yeah, I don't know enough about this guy. Did he used to play football or something? I have no idea. I can't find much on him. Because usually they give that to every NFL player turned wrestler. Here comes but, Mongo. <laughs> but, yeah, but when you're a satanic kilt wearing dude, I don't picture you in the NFL, so I don't understand this spot. Homicide runs towards Isaacs, but is caught and it's turned into a slick power slam. But it only gets a two count. Latimer comes back in and he works on Homicide in the corner. It's at this point I'm wondering, where's Kingston? Because Homicide's been in here for a minute. Well, I mean, Homicide is the worker of the group. Oh, no kidding. After this match? Yeah. Kingston's that weird mix of he's not fat, but he's not skinny. He's not muscular, but he's not scrawny. He's kind of tall, but his cardio definitely needs some fucking work. He's you. No, I'm fat. (laughs) (laughs) Homicide tries for a sunset flip on Latimer, but he ain't having it and he's able to tag out. Isaacs keeps working over Homicide as Homicide claps a little, but this is kind of indicating that the crowd needs to cheer a little for him to get his big comeback or whatever. It's the Tinkerbell method? I I guess. It's kind of like in stardom. One clap, they're on it. Right. Whereas in WWE, one clap, beach ball. (laughs) (laughs) Out of a headlock, Latimer hits a scoop slam and then tags Isaacs. I do want to note here that even though they don't wear similar clothing and they kind of look like a mishmash tag team, boy, these guys are working well together, aren't they? Yeah, they do. I Like I said, I like that they come out in the matching gimmicks. I, I, I'm with you. I wish they did do that in the ring as well. But they have really surprised me as a tag team because of that. They are very slick together. As Latimer comes into the ring, he looks over at Kingston and says, Man. He seems like the type. They beep it, but it was just, it just caught me off guard. It's like, really? You got to go there? There's kids in the crowd. Yeah, but plus, isn't that gimmick infringement? Isn't that Aaron Stevens' gimmick now? Oh, that's fucking dumb. <laughs> eh, got it. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Isaac goes up top, but Kingston takes offense and goes after him, but is stopped by the ref. This gives Homicide enough time to get up for a quick knockdown on Isaacs. Homicide is dazed and can't figure out which corner to go to before tagging in Kingston to cheers, and he cleans house. Yeah, that was a nice little moment on Homicide's part there where he kind of starts crawling towards the wild card corner and then realizes, oh, that's not my people's. And then turns back and goes the other way. Nice belly to belly from Kingston onto Isaacs and another onto Latimer. Galley calls it something, but I can't make it out. As Kingston is about to finish things up, the Dawsons come out and it's a no contest at 610. I like that they called it a no contest, even though they specifically hit Kingston first. So technically, in some companies, they would call that a DQ for Kingston and Homicide. But this is what it really was because they attacked everybody. It's no contest. Nobody wins. I like that. The Dawsons seem to be against everybody that's in the ring as they dump everyone out and just start taunting. Yeah. Not a big fan of the Dawsons. They look a little generic big dudes. 
even the announcers have a little bit of trouble of remembering which one's which. <laughs> but as we clear out from this, we swap over to Galley, who is with Camille and Aldous from that uh, interview segment that we were talking about. Oh, is there supposed to be an interview tonight? Yeah, is there? I wish they would have told us that. Take it away, Matt. So we get the sit-down interview. This was, they said it's a couple hours before everybody fills in for the show. He asked Nick Aldis how he feels about the match with Tim Storm, not that they're a few days out. Aldis does a good little interview where he says, hey, man, I have a little bit of power now that I'm the champion. So I use that little bit of power I have because I wanted to put all the pressure. I wanted to make the first episode of NWA Power great. That's why I challenged him on the first episode. He kind of gets a bit stumbly at this point, And he's like, Tim's not in his prime anymore. But he's still good, and he's as good as I say he is. But I knew I was going to win, so I won. Uh, he's awesome. He just didn't get the job done. Like I said, it, it came off a little like he wasn't quite sure where he was going with the promo. We then have Galley try to interview Camille, who no-sells everything he says. He asks her a question. She refuses to respond. She taps the mic just to show that the mic is on. He's like, hey, we want to know, does he not let you talk? What's going on? She continues to not talk. At this time, Nick Aldis says, I've had enough of this. If you don't have any real questions, we're getting out of here. And Galley says, fine, we're done. Get out of here. And that's pretty much the show. And it was a little over 56 minutes this time. Yeah, it was 57 minutes with the three-minute intro. So, not bad. I said, easy watch. And although there wasn't a long match on this show, it was very quickly paced. And it didn't seem like any of the segments were there just to fill time. Even though there were a couple of segments that were kind of out of place. Or I felt they were out of place. I don't know about you. Uh, it didn't bother me. I just didn't, like I said, I didn't need the same intro to every interview package. I could have done with a little less of Galley trying to get Camille to talk. But yeah. other than that, I was okay with the show. Yeah, good show. No matches to me that were like five-star standout. You got to watch this. But none of them were hard to watch. None of them were bad to watch. Worth checking out the whole show as a whole. Definitely better stuff to come from the NWA here. Yeah. This is episode two. Here's some new people. Like I said, it got the job done. But with everything that's happened tonight, Matt, I do have to think that there are some questions on my mind. What's that? Questions. Some questions. Like maybe a little thunder rumbling in the background? Karate. Karate. Don't forget to check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash faceforwrestling. We just keep you up to date with episode information and fun stuff like GIF of the day and all that other great stuff. Follow us on the Twitter at face, the number four wrestling, where I am constantly trying to call out at WrestleMass because pound sign stats ain't math. Stats ain't math. You can like and subscribe to all of our episodes on iTunes and SoundCloud. You can also find them on YouTube where our stardom episodes are in video format. Video. Ooh. Tell your friends about us and drop us a line. We are trying to maintain our schedule of releasing a stardom episode every month on the 9th and our NWA episodes on the 24th. And if your friends don't want to watch our episodes or listen to our podcast, go get a tire iron from Uncle Tony and bait them with it. And then log on to their computer and make sure and hit that like, subscribe, all that stuff that you can do. Leave us a comment. We'll answer. Wait. We're not too big for that. But still beat them with a tire iron. We'll still beat them with a tire iron. Or you, you beat them with a tire iron. Well, we got your back. Before we get out of here, there's two last things we have to do. What was your match of the night? I'd have to go with Trevor Murdoch and Ricky Starks. You had a definitive face, definitive heel, and it's Trevor Murdoch. Trevor Murdoch. <laughs> it was a solid. It was a solid match. Um, I for me tonight, I gotta go with Allison Kay and Ashley Vox 
like I said, I was a bit surprised because when I saw Ashley in the ring, I thought it was about to be a quick squash match. But they win a decent amount of time. Ashley looked great. Allison didn't look bad. She came over strong. They built a new person. They made our old person look good. Can't complain. And secondly, it's time for everybody's favorite segment of the week. Heel of the week. Heel of the week, huh? Heel of the month. Heel of the second month. There's yeah. two. Yeah, heel of the second month. <laughs> heel of the second part of the month. Yeah. So, so what are you going with, Matt? I think for me, even though I'm not a fan of them, I got to go with the Dawsons. They got the loudest crowd reaction of booze. They interrupted a pretty good main event that was going on. Just a little bit of old school heat. They did their job. What about you? I'd like to take us back to 1986. Okay. Where at that time, the National Wrestling Alliance World's Heavyweight Champion, the Nature Boy Ric Flair, woo, set the stage for Nick Aldis to be just an absolute dick tonight. Woo. Changing all the different suits, driving the Jaguar. I mean, it was very subtle, but Nick Aldis was the modern day Ric Flair in this episode, was he not? I'll give you that. And I blame this on Ric Flair for teaching somebody how to be an absolute dick. So he's getting retroactive props slash hill of the week? Because if Flair hadn't have been around and been this dick, Nick Aldis wouldn't have been said dick tonight. Can't argue with that logic. That's right. Once again, we have Ric Flair for hill of the second week. Well, that's it for me, Waldo. And I'm the Matt. And Dr. Brian, who actually made a random appearance on this episode. Doctor. We're here at the Face for Wrestling Podcast, and again, beat your friends with tire irons to get them to like and subscribe to us. I support this message. <laughs>